Great, Nigel. Thank you very much. May I add my own welcome to you? It's great to uh, have you with us. Um, if you've got a Bible, uh, you might want to open it to uh, that passage that we had uh, read earlier. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's on page uh, 1220, uh, if that's helpful for you. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Why don't I pray for us as we uh, come to look at uh, God's Word? Lord, we thank you that you are a uh, speaking God. Uh, you communicate to us. You have not left us in any doubt uh, what you're like, uh, but you have taken initiative. You have come to us through your words and supremely through your Son. Uh, and we pray now that as we look at your word, we would hear your voice. Uh, speak to each one of us, uh, we pray. Uh, help me to be faithful to your words uh, and uh, help us to respond uh, in the way that is most pleasing to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in 1945, just after the uh, Second World War, a young pastor in Romania went with his wife uh, to a conference uh, with uh, lots of other clergy. Lots of clergy go, clergy go on conferences uh, all the time. Uh, this one was slightly different. It was being run by the government of all places. Uh, it was being run by the communist government of uh, Romania, who'd been newly elected. Uh, and uh, he went to this conference. He was sitting in the, uh, the audience with 4,000 other uh, vicars. Uh, and basically what was happening was, one after another, they were being invited up to the front to take the microphone to um, basically pledge support to the uh, communist government. Uh, one by one, they all went up and gave their, uh, their, uh, their plaudits to the government, pledging their support as long as the government should be in, uh, in charge. Uh, and eventually, it came round to this particular pastor to uh, come forward. Uh, he did so. Uh, everyone was expecting him to uh, break out in rapturous uh, applause for the, uh, the government. He didn't. Instead, he announced that he would never support such a regime as this government. Uh, and more than that, that his loyalty as a Christian and as a Christian minister lay solely with the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. Uh, shortly after, it's no surprise, he was arrested. He was thrown in prison. He began uh, a lengthy sentence of solitary confinement, torture, uh, brainwashing techniques, uh, you name it, he, he endured it. Uh, eventually, he was released after many years. Uh, and for the rest of his life, he devoted his life to um, working for the persecuted church. Uh, his name was Richard Wormbrand. Some of you will probably have uh, heard of him, maybe read his book. It came out a number of years ago. Uh, and he founded a charity called Release International, who work still for, um, for persecuted Christians. Um, I wonder what your image of Christian leadership is like. Uh, can we have our first uh, slide, Andrew? Oh, it's the suffering and glory. Um, let's have the next one, shall we? I wonder if it's something like this. Quite a lot of people think that's essentially what vicars do. Uh, they go around and they have tea with old ladies and... Uh, you know, it's all nice and sweet, and basically you work one day a week, and it's all a bit soft, really, and it's very nice. And why don't you just go and get a proper job like the rest of us? Lots of people think that. Uh, when I was in Oxford, and uh, somebody said to me uh, what I was doing, I, I was uh, training to be a, a, a vicar, and I went to a party, and this lady asked me what I was doing, and I told her, and uh, she said, oh, it's wonderful, dear. I think, you should, I think everyone should have a hobby. 
Um, lots of people think that uh, Christian ministry is a soft job. And yet I think one of the things that Richard Vermbrand's testimony tells us is that certainly for pastors in the, uh, some parts of the world where there's opposition, persecution, uh, it's anything but a soft job. Uh, in any uh, situation, leaders are the lightning rod, aren't they, for opposition. And that's uh, no less true in the church as in anywhere else. Uh, if you've been with us over the last uh, few weeks, you'll know that we've been going through this letter of uh, one Peter. Uh, Peter is writing to Christians who are scattered uh, across the Roman Empire. Uh, they're facing persecution. The, the temperature is just being turned up a little bit uh, by the government on the Christians. Uh, and Peter's been making it very, very clear that this is not something they should be surprised at. If we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must expect opposition. It goes with the territory, we might say. And as we get to this end of the letter, this final chapter, he turns his particular attention to church leaders and what should they be doing. Uh, And then by process, as we'll see at the end, uh, to uh, round up some of these themes uh, for for the church as a whole. So let's start, shall we? And uh, I think the first thing he says, this first sort of half of the letter, of the chapter, says that suffering and glory is the path for Christian leaders. A little heading up there. I don't know if you can read it. It's a little bit small. But there we go. I think his first lesson is that suffering and glory is the path for Christian leaders from uh, verse 1. Uh, there's an old saying, isn't there, that um, those who can't teach... It's a bit unfair on teachers, isn't it? But it, it's an old saying that often comes up. That I guess the, the thing behind it is saying that it's very easy to tell other people what they should be doing without having actually experienced it uh, yourself. I'm sure we can all think of uh, people who we've come across a bit like that. Uh, Peter is not one of those people. Do you see from verse 1 his description uh, of himself? He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He sets out his uh, credentials right from the very start uh, for us. Uh, he knows what he's talking about, he's been there. He's seen Christ's sufferings. He's experienced them himself. He's a pastor speaking to pastors. He's been there. This is forged out on the the anvil of suffering. It's not detached from a classroom. He's lived it out. Uh, There's a distinctive term that he uses to describe the Christian leader throughout these uh, verses. It comes up a few times um, here. And it's probably worth thinking a little bit about it uh, just before we go any further. Uh, The term that he uses is elder. Do you see that? It comes up in the first uh, verse, doesn't it? He says, to the elders among you. Then he says himself, he's a fellow elder. Uh, And uh, I think he says it somewhere else as well at some point. It comes up again and again. This idea of being an elder. Uh, Literally, it means an old man. Uh, He's not, however, speaking purely to those who've got grey hair and uh, long beards and uh, sticks and uh, those who are belonging to the the geriatric wing of the the church. Uh, It is a technical term referring to church leaders. It has a long history. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, Moses appointed elders uh, to help him bear the leadership of uh, of Israel. Uh, By the time of Jesus, uh, the elders were essentially the leaders of the synagogue. That was their job. They were responsible for administration and uh, and for running the synagogue. Uh, And in the New Testament times, by the time that uh, Peter is writing... Um, elders were the leaders of the church. Uh, as St. Paul went across the Mediterranean uh, planting churches, uh, in every congregation he set up elders to act as the, uh, the leaders 
of the congregation. Uh, it seems from his letters, uh, they were, their main jobs were to, not only to lead, but to teach, uh, and I guess to rebuke um, error as well, theological error. Uh, they were there to act as sort of doctrine police, among other things. Uh, they had a big uh, responsibility. Uh, they are, I suppose, the equivalent of our rectors, curates and bishops in the Church of England, if you're looking for a modern-day uh, equivalent. Uh, it's interesting that when we ordain people in the Church of England... They are ordained, firstly, as deacons, but secondly, as presbyters or priests. Uh, the Greek word for elder is it's presbyteros. It's just the same, presbyter. Uh, we're ordained as elders. There's a direct, direct link, if you want, uh, between uh, the two. He is speaking, therefore, to pastors here. This is uh, his main address. What does he say that being a Christian leader should involve for us? Well, I think there's three things uh, that he picks out in these first uh, few verses. Uh, The first thing is that he says that uh, being a Christian leader will involve suffering. Uh, We've seen that, haven't we, in verse 1. He says that he is a witness to Christ's sufferings. Uh, If you were with us uh, last week, you'll know that in chapter 4, again, he was talking about uh, believers suffering. Uh, And I think by emphasising it again uh, so soon after, uh, he's trying to get across this idea. He's trying to emphasise that Christian leaders, too, must expect that they're going to suffer. It isn't all going to be more tea, Vicar. There's going to be tough times. There's going to be times when, frankly, you don't want to be there, uh, when you'd rather be anywhere but be a uh, leader of God's people. It's going to be difficult. We've said, haven't we, in any area of life, leaders can expect uh, to take the flack. Uh, whether it's Alistair Cook, who's the captain of the England cricket team, under fire for poor performances... Uh, David Moyes, as uh, Manchester United manager, it's always the leader, isn't it, who takes the rap. You notice that. Uh, the, the team can be playing uh, poorly, but you can guarantee if anyone gets fired, it's going to be the manager. It's the same in the church, isn't it? Uh, we should expect to take the, uh, the bricks and the bouquets, as one of my uh, college lecturers used to say. Uh, those of us who are tasked with leading God's people can expect to uh, be the target for opposition. Uh, that is the path of gospel ministry. Someone said to me before I um, went forward for ordination, uh, don't do it unless you can't do anything else. Uh, not because God wants failures necessarily, I hope, in uh, Christian ministry, but because it's a tough task and we shouldn't wander into it lightly. Christian ministry involves suffering. Secondly, I think he says that Christian leadership is about following the example of Jesus. Uh, Look with me at verses 2 and uh, 3. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Back in chapter 2, Peter described Jesus as the shepherd and the overseer. And again, he sort of returns to those uh, words, doesn't he, in these verses, those same themes. Uh, Christian leaders, in turn, are under the Lord Jesus to be the shepherds of the flock uh, and to provide oversight. Uh, Just in case they're not quite sure how to, uh, he gives us a few pointers uh, to follow. Um, He says, first of all, we ought to be willing, uh, verse 2. Uh, not moaning. That's a challenge for me when I get a bit stressed and uh, some of you wind me up. I need to do it willingly, not moaning. It's true. It's easy to do that. There are lots of vicars who are moaners. They're always whinging about whether they haven't got enough money or the fact they haven't got enough volunteers or uh, anything like that. Very easy not to do it willingly. 
We shouldn't be doing it uh, for moaning. We should be uh, willing. We shouldn't be doing it for money. Um, You're a bit of an ignorant fool if you uh, go into the Church of England looking for money. But uh, there's plenty of opportunity for fame and fortune if you want to uh, look for that, uh, that way. But Peter says we shouldn't be doing it for the money or for any other kind of selfish reason. Verse 2, we do it because we want to serve. Uh, above all, uh, Christian leaders should be an example. Verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, we shouldn't be abusing our power, uh, seeking to get what, what, what we can get out of it, but setting an example, what it means to follow the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. That is the role of the Christian leader. Thirdly and finally, uh, Peter says that a Christian leader will one day share in Christ's glory. Uh, verse uh, 1, he said, hasn't he, uh, I am one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Uh, then again, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, I wonder when he wrote this whether he was thinking back to that time when he had a glimpse of Jesus' glory, back at the transfiguration uh, on the mount. Uh, when he uh, had a glimpse, and I uh, just a sort of a, a, a fraction uh, glimpse into the glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the true reward for Christian service, says Peter, isn't power, it's not fame, it's not uh, prestige, it's not money, but it's an unfading crown of glory from the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, I don't know about you, but last week I watched the uh, World Cup final and uh, I was astonished quite how emotional some of the uh, German players were getting at receiving the trophy. Uh, it was obvious that uh, they had been sustained throughout the campaign and probably through the, the months leading up to it by the thought that they could win this. That was their, their, their prize. Their, I had been on the prize. They were uh, working hard uh, for that goal. All the pain and the effort that they put in was worth it when they lifted that trophy. It was all worth it. Uh, they could uh, see uh, what, that it had paid off. And I guess Peter's saying that whenever Christian leaders are tempted to doubt the worth of their efforts, they should be looking forward to that crown, the crown of glory uh, that the Lord Jesus promises us. Uh, that is the reward, not power, not money, not anything else, but it is the crown of glory from the Lord Jesus himself. Well, this is all well and good. Maybe you're uh, sitting there thinking, well, this is fine, but you're the vicar, not me. Well, how does this uh, apply to me at all? What difference does it make to me? Uh, it's a good question. I think on one level, it does apply to all of us. Um, we might not all call to be vicars, uh, but I rest, reckon most of us, in some senses, are called to some form of Christian leadership whether it's uh, running Cypher or a Sunday school group or a house group, or maybe it's even leading another Christian, a, a young disciple, um, reading up with them to read the Bible or praying with them. I guess if we think hard enough about it, most of us are involved in some level of Christian leadership, or at least we will be at some point in our Christian uh, lives. And I do think these words, whilst they're written primarily to church leaders, apply to all of us in Christian leadership. Um, there isn't, I don't think, there's one standard for vicars and one standard for everyone else. Uh, this is what uh, all of us should be aspiring to, whatever sort of form of Christian leadership uh, we might find ourselves in. Yeah, I think it's also relevant because um, I think everyone should know what the vicar's job description is, actually. 
Uh, There is lots of pressure on church leaders to do anything but what the Bible says church leaders should be doing. Uh, People uh, say that we should be, frankly, community organisers or um, some kind of psychotherapists of of various sorts or just be a nice fellow who everyone likes and shakes hands with and thinks is a nice guy and goes to drink tea with old ladies. And none of those things are necessarily bad things, but that's not what the Bible calls us to. And it's vital that uh, we are living up to our job description. Because if we're not faithful to our task, then you guys are the ones that will suffer. Uh, The church will be impoverished. Um, If we're not faithful, the church will not be built up uh, in the way that it should be. There is one way that you can help, and that is by prayer. Uh, May I ask you, as one of the people tasked with leading this church, uh, to daily, if you can, weekly, if not, pray for those of us who are tasked with um, that task. Uh, It is an immense job leading uh, a church. Um, It it is difficult. It's a great task, but it is really hard work. Uh, Pray for Alan and myself, particularly, as we lead. Uh, Pray that we will be faithful when we face opposition. It will happen inevitably, whether now or at some point in the future. Uh, Pray that we will be imitators of the Lord Jesus, as we're called to be. Examples. Uh, We'd be setting a good example to you guys about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Pray that uh, our lives would match our lips, that what we preach from the front here would be what we live out as well. Uh, Pray that we'd be looking forward to that day when Jesus returns, working for the prize, not working because we want you guys to think well of us, or uh, because we want money, but because we want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servants. That's the first thing. Suffering and glory is the path for Christian leaders. Can we have the next slide, Andrew, please? Thank you. What about the the rest of this chapter? Well, just before you all start thinking you've got off a bit lightly, uh, Peter turns his attention to uh, church members now. And surprise, surprise, he says that actually the same thing is true of church members as it is of church leaders. Suffering and glory is the path for Christian living. Uh, Just as church leaders are called to follow Jesus, uh, and that's going to involve suffering, and that's a way uh, ultimately to the crown, uh, so too are church members. Uh, And as he closes his letter, uh, Peter returns to several themes that he's uh, been, uh, been speaking about earlier. Firstly, he encourages church members uh, to follow Jesus on the path of humility. You see that, verse 5. He says, uh, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Uh, He's been addressing uh, senior guys, uh, elders. Uh, Now he turns his attention to the younger men, uh, because younger men don't have problems with humility, do they? Of course. Uh, There's a vivid picture uh, that he uses to communicate uh, his point here. Um, He says that we should uh, clothe ourselves with uh, humility. Did you catch that in uh, verse 5? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards uh, one another. Uh, The word that he uses here has a, a sort of a related word, um, that means a servant's apron. It's the, um, the, the apron, or I suppose really a slave's apron, actually. It's the apron that a slave would put on in order to go about uh, doing their duties. Uh, in other words, I think, he says that uh, as Christians in church, we are to be like slaves 
to one another. We are to have the attitude of a slave, serving one another in humility. A tough call, isn't it? I wonder here if Peter was thinking back to that uh, time uh, at the Last Supper when the Lord Jesus had uh, knelt down. He'd put on uh, a towel around his waist. He'd washed the disciples' feet. And if you remember, Peter himself had been the one who had said, no, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Maybe he was thinking back to those, uh, those times. Just as the Lord Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Uh, so he calls his followers to a life of humble service uh, to one another. That episode in the upper room paved the way for Jesus to uh, give the ultimate demonstration of humble submission. Submission to the Father's will. He submitted voluntarily to the cross uh, to go to Calvary to die for our sins. The ultimate example of what it means to be humble and submit to someone. Uh, And for us too, says Peter, uh, this call to humility is not just directed at each other, but it's directed uh, towards God himself. And he says, doesn't he, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Uh, The Old Testament often speaks of God's mighty hand uh, as a reference to his ability to save his people, to deliver his people uh, from their enemies. Uh, We know, don't we, uh, that he has delivered us from the slavery of sin. He delivered his people in the past from the slavery of Egypt. He has delivered us from the slavery of sin uh, in order that we might serve him and uh, love him. He remains faithful to his promises. We can submit to him in confidence. He's done what he promised to do. Uh, In joyful submission, we come to him. Alongside humility, uh, Peter says that the path of Christian life involves following Jesus in suffering. Uh, Look on with me, shall you? At verse uh, 8 and 9, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers uh, throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Uh, All through his letter, Peter has been reminding his readers uh, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get it in the neck at some point. It's going to lead to suffering. Uh, It's going to lead to persecution. Uh, It's no surprise, therefore, but as he starts to close, he comes back to that theme. It's been uh, the true of it again and again. Uh, there's many reasons why Christians uh, might find themselves in the place of suffering. Uh, lots of different reasons that we, uh, we could think about. Uh, one very real reason, and this is the reason that Peter picks out, is because we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Um, it may not feel like it sometimes, but uh, the Bible is very real. that the devil himself is at work in the world. Uh, He prowls around, uh, as uh, Peter says, seeking out uh, believers to tempt, to attack, uh, to draw them away from the Lord Jesus, to get them to deny their faith, to to, uh, dishonour him. And I think it's no surprise, therefore, that Peter says that Christians should be watchful and ready to resist him. Uh, We should be aware of this reality. Easy to uh, pretend that Satan doesn't exist. I mean, the Church of England is trying to get rid of him in the baptismal vows. He's a figure of fun, isn't he, to most people? The Bible doesn't treat Satan like that. We can give him too much power, it's true. But the Bible is real, that Satan is active, and he is seeking to devour uh, Christians. 
Uh, maybe uh, you saw in the news recently there's been the inquest, hasn't there, into that schoolboy who died a couple of years ago on a uh, uh, gap year trip out to um, uh, Antarctic, Antarctica. He was devoured by a polar bear. Tragic story. Uh, it's been even more tragic to hear that it seems so easily preventable. If only there'd been proper watch uh, uh, put up. If only they'd had the uh, right equipment to guard against uh, polar bear attacks. That moment of carelessness and a life is lost. Uh, I think it's a vivid illustration, isn't it? Uh, We can say the same with the Christian life. It's so easy to have a dozy moment and to end up being tempted away by Satan. Uh, Maybe it's a tired click on a web page. We've stayed strong all day. We're just a bit tired. It's been a busy day. Uh, Something flashes up as we're checking our emails. Oh, that looks interesting. We never usually do it. We let our guard down, we click, and we enter into something that we would have never dreamed of going into. Maybe it's um, a word in uh, the office with uh, somebody we don't like. Uh, we've managed to guard our tongue for many, many times, and yet just in a moment of weakness, we say what we really think about them. And suddenly all that hard work, all that uh, work of witnessing for Christ is undone. Uh, just a dozy moment, a moment of carelessness, and Satan strikes. Be alert, says Peter. Resist him. Uh, We know that he's at work. He says, you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, uh, being uh, under pressure for being a follower of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Following Jesus will mean suffering. And yet Peter doesn't despair uh, because he knows that the path of following Jesus is ultimately leading to glory. Verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The God of grace promises to carry his people through whatever they face, whatever sufferings, whatever persecutions, whatever opposition. God is faithful and he promises uh, that he will carry us through. Peter's absolutely sure of this, isn't he? He piles up the words, four different phrases of what God's going to do to keep us going, uh, to, uh, to think about. There's absolutely no doubt in his mind, there shouldn't be any doubt in ours, that he will be faithful. Whatever we face, he's at work. to Strengthen us to deal with trials uh, and to finish well. I don't know what your situation is uh, tonight. I guess uh, some of us' life will be going well, and that's uh, great. We're enjoying the sunshine whilst it lasts. Uh, and uh, things are good. There will be other people, though, for whom life is not so good. Uh, Maybe the path of following Jesus uh, is particularly difficult at the moment. Maybe it's been particularly difficult in the past. Perhaps it's meant uh, the rejection of friends and family. Uh, Perhaps they just don't want to know you because you have decided to follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's been uh, a pathway that's been full of sickness and full of sorrow. Uh, I don't know what your situation is. Uh, Let me, though, draw your attention to two very, very precious promises that we have uh, in verse 10. Uh, The word that uh, our NIV Bible uses to translate, uh, translates restore, is the same word that St. Mark uses in his gospel uh, to describe uh, the disciples repairing their their fishing nets. Uh, Literally, it means to repair something, to fix something. There will be some here tonight who have been really battered by the storms of life, and you are in need of repair. 
and restoration, and you know it. Uh, Nigel said that we're going to have prayer ministry uh, in a short time. Uh, Let me encourage you, come forward. Uh, God wants to restore and repair you. That's the promise that he offers here. He says that he will do it. If you're in need of his his, uh, restoring hand, come forward. Uh, Why wait? Uh, Alongside that, there is a second promise. He promises to make us steadfast, end of verse 10. Uh, That is to lay the foundations so we can keep going to the end. Uh, Some of us may be in the middle of storms. It may be very, very difficult. Um, We're just wondering, frankly, can I keep going? It's just a day-by-day thing. Can I keep going with the Lord Jesus? And he promises we're not alone. He will be at work in us to shore us up, to make us steadfast in all that we can endure. Uh, Maybe your situation, again, come forward. Uh, Don't leave uh, this evening without having been prayed for. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, Whatever you're going through, whatever your situation, that's the promise uh, that uh, is offered uh, this evening. Uh, No wonder Peter ends with a shout of praise. Well, many years uh, after his uh, release, uh, Richard Vernbrand was speaking at uh, another conference, uh, not run by the Communist Party uh, this time. And he said this of his time in prison. In my darkest hours of torture, the Son of Man came, uh, making the prison walls shine like diamonds and filling the cells with light. I would not have given up this joy for that of kingly princes. After all that he'd been through, the beatings, the solitary confinement, the brainwashing, the waterboarding, you name it, he still said uh, he knew the joy of uh, following Jesus. Uh, He knew the truth, I think, of Peter's words that we've been hearing over the last few weeks, uh, that there can be joy in the midst of suffering. We should expect it. It's true. Uh, But we should also expect the presence and the power of Jesus at work in us to help us endure, to help us finish well to last to the end. Uh, So whatever our calling, whatever our situation at the moment, this evening, uh, Peter urges us to live lives that glorify God and he calls us to follow Jesus on the path of suffering that one day uh, will lead to eternal glory. Let's pray, uh, shall we? Lord, we do read these verses and sometimes they seem so very distant from us. We're not being persecuted, praise God, uh, for our faith yet in this country. Uh, And yet at the same time, all of us, I guess, know what it means to uh, count the cost for you. Uh, And all of us, uh, I guess, have had experience of suffering. Uh, Perhaps some this evening come with particularly heavy hearts. And we pray. Uh, whatever our situation, that you would indeed uh, restore us and uh, establish us. Help us, we pray, to uh, honour you, uh, whatever the situation, uh, to live lives that are to your glory uh, and to look forward to that day when you will return in majesty to welcome us home. Uh, Help us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.